John. Hi, Marilyn. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Good. Can I can I say why that's funny? Marilyn, man. Mm. I just, uh, of course you can. Yeah. I think that we I think that we should reference yesterday multiple times. What? No, no, no. I just uh, I blooped you on the Skype as a joke because yeah. I, I was just, you know I've been I remarked about how you tend to clear your throat mm-hmm. at the top of the episode as you say, <clears throat> and so I, I think my exact quote was clear your throat because here we go. <laughs> I saved it for you. I wanted to hear all the little <laughs> rabbit babies that I was keeping in my cheeks. <laughs> What's that from? Just, just, just you just came up with that. I just met God, you should write songs. You are good. Mm-hmm. What did you? Uh, what did you have for dinner tonight? Well, it's a good question. Thank I, you. Uh, Thank you. I'm still wandering around in a kind of uh, a carbless daze. And uh, I was sitting here at my house and I was just like, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine another meat entree that, uh, that isn't going to just make me despair. Mm. Like all I want, all I want is spaghetti with cookies on it. (laughs) God, I've never thought of that until you just said it. And that sounds so good does it's a it would be a real carbo load mm. but then I, I looked in the refrigerator and i realized that i had made a stew a uh, a carbless stew and i had also roasted a beef oh like a rib roast or like what kind I of had, a roast i had made a roast beef <gasps> that sounds delicious it does and it is but i don't have a meat slicer and i realized that at least half of the enjoyment I get out of roast beef is out of the uh, the the thinness of the slices of the beef. Is that right? Now, uh, it, was it was it like a, a, a rib roast or what kind of a roast did you make? Was it like a, a sirloin roast, like it was a, like a prime rib? No, no, it was a it was a it was a beef it was a beef butt. I don't mean to give you the beef wadir. I'm just trying to figure out which. So you like a thin cut? You like a traditional roast beef? Thin slice. Yeah. Rare, rare cook and very thinly sliced. God, and then of course good. on a, on a fresh French roll, but I can't have that. See, Jeez, that's how they get you. Yeah. That sounds so delicious. I, yeah. So I, anyway, I ate the rest of the stew. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling less like, uh, like, uh, like diving into a swimming pool sized strawberry shortcake. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm getting by, you know, it is not, it's not torment at all. It's just a constant feeling of of being uh, of not knowing what's not not knowing how to live because I've... <laughs> because of this 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 bizarre simulacrum of a life that you've been leading all these years. Yeah, I've been I've been I've been hopping from from shortcake to shortcake like a frogger. <laughs> like so many freight trains. <laughs> <laughs> and now now I'm this person who's like I can eat any any meat I want and it's and it's all delicious and after after a week I'm like meat is the most boring food. Isn't that it's see it's just the way it's like having a steady girlfriend. I I, I don't know if this is useful at all. You've probably already discovered this. I, I might be repeating what you just said, but when I was struggling to make the um no starchy stuff thing work, um I, I discovered that the the worst part was before I would eat the actual meat. That's when I would feel the meat fatigue. But if mm-hmm. I forced myself to eat something proteiny, like you say, the, the shortcake uh, train desire would abate a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it goes away. And what's funny is... And you realize how it, much it's in your head. A week ago, somebody said to me, well, why don't you just take a celery stick and, and dip it in a peanut butter jar? <laughs> and I was like, well, for one, I'm not four at the daycare center. 
And for two, <laughs> I literally have not eaten a thing like that since 1973. And I, and I, I, I cannot think of a thing less appetizing. You should make ants on a log. You do that. Yes. You put some raisins on oh, top. Let's not, let's not talk about ants. Nom, 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 nom. But, uh, but yesterday I'm walking around. I'm just like, oh, celery with peanut butter on it. That sounds so delicious. Like it has, it, it's only taken a week. And already I think of vegetables in a different way. I'm like, uh, oh, huh. I, get me some vegetables. Like that will they'll at fill least. You, they'll fill you up. They really Well, will. and they dress up your dumb dead, uh, your dead shoe leather, whatever thing you're eating. <laughs> Don't you feel a little fruity though? Like I, I know in my heart that, well, like I really like, uh, as you say, asparagus. Yeah. I, 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 I love asparagus. I, I like broccoli. I love spinach, like sauteed with, uh, you know, cloves of garlic. So good. Uh-huh. Um, but when I I'm think, glad that we're finally doing a cooking podcast. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Nom Noms with John and Merlin. Uh, Broccoli, but, but saute, I, a little. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, no, but what? Oh, you know what? This is super boring. But but what, I want, But I, I, all I'm going to say is this. I'm going to say I'm going to say say one and a half things. Yeah. One is that that, that in my head. So I've got meat, and I want to talk more about meat because my family's away, and I, I've I've been eating nothing but meat. Right. And uh, but I'll think to myself, hmm, I should go make some asparagus, and I could yeah. sp- I could put a little spritz of lemon on it, and I feel like such a fruit when that thought goes through my head. But I make it; it's delicious, and I eat it. I, a, a Isn't friend that a of silly my, thing? Well, it's it's I I I absolutely feel you. I, uh, a friend of mine was in town. Uh, I had not seen him in many many years. He and his family live in Saint Petersburg, Russia. And they were passing through Seattle and they said, we're going to be here long enough to get dinner. Let's all meet for dinner. And I said, well, absolutely. Where should we eat? And they were unified in wanting to eat at the Red Robin because <laughs> really? they're, because they're going back to Russia. They're going to be right. in Russia for another year. And Red Robin was the American style, uh, like, like a bonsai hamburger with a pineapple ring on it. And a strawberry milkshake sounded like, like I mean, that was their dream, right? You're not, you can get a lot of things in St. Petersburg, but I'm guessing you can't get nachos with like strawberry compote. You could, you could on probably them. get a rocket launcher faster than you can get a pineapple burger. I'm yeah. guessing. Right, right. So we all go to we all go to Red Robin, and I, you know, I used to work at the Red Robin. I was the Red Robin. <laughs> Is that right? Did I never tell you the story? When I, was, I have not heard how you became the Red Robin. It was one of my earliest jobs. I was 17 years old. With I was Red a, Batman? I was a bus boy at the Red Robin in Anchorage. Hmm. And uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't trust me to be a waiter. They didn't think I had the maturity. Uh, but they, but I was running around bussing tables. And one day I was in the back storeroom. And, you know, back there behind all the boxes of Dixie cups, hanging on a hook is this, you know, I came around the corner and was like, and here's this life-size Red Robin costume hanging on a hook, like dead, lifeless. How how long had you been there before you realized this? Well, it was was like a back storeroom that kind of never got used. And I was there, I was working there a couple of months, you know, before I went around and saw this. And I was sent into that room. You had to have a key. Okay. Sent into it to find something, some cash register item. And here's this Red Robin, and it looked exactly like, hanging on the hook, it looked exactly like the uh, Alec Baldwin chicken face in Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, you know, like he had reached in and pulled his nose out, and, and he had fingers for eyeballs, and I was like startled and scared. And the, I mentioned it to the manager, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, usually, uh, well, for a long time, we had somebody 
being the Red Robin, but you know, you have to be you have to be big and like to dance and <laughs> and like kids. Check and check. And I was like, "Hello, big, like to dance, love kids." And he was like, "You want to do that?" And I you was like, "You like a snazzy, you like a snazzy outfit." So I so I run back. I throw the Red Robin costume on. I go out into the I go out into the restaurant, and I don't know if you've read these studies recently, but it has. It's been discovered by the guy that that provides sports ma- mascots to people to sports teams in America that that severely autistic people make the absolute best sports mascots like like a big head character yeah once I ne- I've never heard that once they're inside I mean the, and these are people who are who are completely internal like like right. Rain Man level of autism they they put on the costume. And they become incredibly animated, incredibly social, gifted, like like child hugging, cartwheel turning, wow, super mascots. I never heard that. And then you take the you take the costume off of them, and they go back. They they kind of just it's like a, it's almost a a um, they, they recede a, an awakenings them. kind of situation. Wow. So it was. It was, I had a similar experience. I put on this costume. I walked out into the restaurant where I had been working at toiling as a, as a bus boy, lo, the lowest guy on the totem pole. And suddenly I was the red Robin and everyone in the restaurant wanted me to come over to their table. And all the waiters were like, you know, stepping aside to let me pass. And I never wanted to get out of this costume, Merlin. I was, I inhabited the character of the red robin who as you know is both a mix master or a mixologist and also a burger master two two things at the I time to, I, i've only I i've only i've never eaten at a red robin but i passed by them and i'm just looking at the character he appears to be a, a red bird and he's got a little bit kind of like a what like a um he's got a beanie cap on he's got like a backwards well here he's got a baseball cap i guess he probably used yeah. to maybe used to have a beanie he's carrying a burger like bob's big boy he's got yep. a big adorable yellow bird feet that's right, and beautiful, That's right. beautiful blue eyes. To those of you, who, uh, who, uh, to those of our listeners who are not in America, uh, it is a burger restaurant that was started in Seattle. It's a chain restaurant. They have uh, burger places all over the country, and they their twin uh, selling points were the this menu of outrageous burgers, outrageous burgers with um, outrageous toppings, and then also a very fun bar component where. Master mixologists, and I believe the term mixologist was invented at Red Robin. Turns out, they it looks. The first... I, I take it all back. This looks. This looks fantastic. It says it says here it's America's uh, gourmet burgers and spirits. What a brilliant idea! Mm-hmm. Way ahead of so, its time, I'm guessing. So, mom and dad could go and get one of these like tall drinks that had 15 shots of liquor in it that <laughs> tasted like a banana. And the kids could eat all you can eat seasoned fries and a and a giant burger covered with skittles or whatever it is uh, kids want. <laughs> and they used to have uh, oh they had amazing food a mud pie a nachos anyway so I, I was I had such a good time as the Red Robin I was such a success that they started to somebody got a truck and they would put me in the back of the truck and we would we drove to all the hospitals. And I started what? visiting sick kids as the Red Robin. What kind of response did you get? Oh, that was amazing. You walk onto the ward and all the little little sick and, and hurt kids, and they're so thrilled. You know, the, the hardest part, I think, 
It's it so public. boring to just nobody sit comes. Yeah, you know, mom and dad come visit for an hour or whatever, but nobody's there. It's just dull. And here comes this giant, freaky bird. Half of the kids had no idea what the connection was to the restaurant. It was just like, here's this giant, freaky bird. And thinking about it now, like we were doing this really rogue. Like it was this, this one assistant manager. And one of the waiters owned a truck, and we were like, I know, let's go to hospitals. I can't, I I can't think, imagine that happening today. I don't even think we called ahead. I think we just drove to hospitals, walked in the door, <laughs> and the nurses at the in the ER were like, oh, hello, let's go, and then like, took us back to the kitchen. There's like 50 things about that that would never happen today. Right. If right, a John right. Roderick-sized red bird walked into a hospital today, there would be so many questions. <laughs> you you get black bagged. <laughs> Yeah, but this was, you know, and, and and the entire trip across Anchorage with me in the back of this pickup truck, I'd be waving and people would be honking. Mock, mock. I really felt like like queen for a day every time I put on this costume, and it transformed me. So we started going to, like, state fair and, and stuff like that, where the Red Robin... You, 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 the manager didn't mind you doing this? The manager loved it because, first of all, I was, A, not a very good busboy. <laughs> Win-win. And B... Get that chicken out of here. <laughs> that, that summer, like, all of a sudden, the Red Robin was literally everywhere in Anchorage. Like, you could not get me out of that suit. And, and every time... Every time somebody opened an envelope, I was there in the Red Robin costume, like, hello! Wee! And, you know, and it, it's a silent role. Right. So I wasn't, I didn't say anything. I was just bouncing and jumping and dancing. I mean, you know, dancing to like schoolhouse rock or whatever it is that they play. At, but I mean, it's probably not to, entirely different from the, the Spectrum kids, where like you disappear into this character. And it's not like the, the interesting thing about it is like everybody sees you as a big dancing bird, but like all you see is the people's reaction, yeah. which it's not like you're watching yourself on video and going, God, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why don't I get a girlfriend? Like oh. you, you, would, you would just see the delight. <laughs> you walk up and oh. see the delight in people's eyes and do a little dance. Everybody in the world should do it, should walk into a hospital ward of sick kids dressed as a giant bird. You sh everybody should have that experience once because the looks of like pure joy and 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 adulation on these little faces where Aww. they're just like you came to see me and you know and I'm like mhm mm and high five and big hug and it's just like oh you know I it was it was as it wasn't my first job but as one of my first jobs it was a it was a hell of a revelation. So I have a tremendous soft spot for Red Robin, even as they have succumbed to cost cutting measures, such that I feel that their current mud pie mm. is a shadow of its former self. Well, that's a goddamn shame. Don't you, know, you hate old, Don't you hate to see that when a place you really love starts going downhill? The old mud pies they literally opened a jar. They opened like one of those two quart glass jars of Adam's peanut butter and just turned it upside down on this chocolate ice cream pie. Oof. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting dizzy. I need to sit down because this, th just smelling this, this ice cream cake pie. And back then you could do that. No one would stop you. 
Oh no! You, I mean, it, again, oh. it seems like a different world. On the one hand, I can't believe that you didn't have to go to like six weeks of training and sign a bunch of insurance forms before you put on the suit. But but at the same time, I think about like my tenth birthday at Ferrell's. I don't know if you ever seen Ferrell's, but I I ate the pig's trough at Ferrell's. I, still I made a pig ribbon. of myself. I got the ribbon on my toy box. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I made a pig of myself at Ferrell's. <clears throat> my tenth birthday there was amazing. And they would, do you remember they would have like, ding, 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 ding. They come out and they'd, they'd carry like, <laughs> they'd have this ice cream thing that came out on like a stretcher. Yeah. They're all wearing straw boaters and like, straw boaters. but you could eat it. You could just sit there and eat. I, I 21 think, scoops of ice cream. Well, there was, yeah, that was, there was one really crazy one. I think the, the, the pig's trough. The pig's trough. <laughs> oh my God, John. I, on numerous occasions ordered and ate something called a pig's trough. Pig's trough. 21 I think it was, scoops. Was it 21 scoops? I thought it was like six. It was a lot. There was one that was really, really big. That was called yeah, was... like the roller coaster or the ice capades or something. There was one that was just ridiculously large. But I mean, it was a banana split. It had basically everything you can conceivably put on there. Yeah, it's, it was just a, it was like, like every, a fire hose. A scoop like... with like every flavor of. I'm gonna find out now. I'm, I'm looking at these red robin burgers. Do I remember correctly that you don't like an onion roll? Do I remember that correctly? Onion roll. I seem to recall one time I, I, I seem to recall asking if you liked an onion roll uh, for a burger. And I, I, oh, oh no, I don't prefer an onion roll. Okay, so pretty good, huh? Yeah, that's a good memory. Yeah, I'm looking at these burgers. I, I have a feeling you don't really get that much tall avocado on your burger. But I'm looking at some wonderful, beautiful. Some of those burgers will 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 sit you down. Those, they, they those really... fried onions are very generous. <laughs> oh well, and so I'm so I go to this restaurant with my friends who live in Russia. Mm-hmm. And they are just, you know, they're just tucking their napkins into the front of their shirts. <laughs> and they're like, here we go. We're going to eat one of these 6,000 calorie burgers. We're all going to have milkshakes. <clears throat> and the waitress came around to me and I was like, Cobb salad, please. Oh, God. And they they looked on me with pity. They looked on me with like, they you're, didn't want to say. so strong. They didn't want to say anything, too. They looked at me like, you know, like I had just said. Um, I would, I just said like, I'd like some radiological, I'd like a glass of radiological liquid, please. <laughs> Could I please have some barium? <laughs> and, and the waitress is like, okay, and, and off they go. And no ice. <laughs> here comes my Cobb salad. And it is, I mean, it's seriously the size of a bear's head. It's, <laughs> really? It's, it's, it's very, probably, very generous. It's a massive Cobb salad. There's nothing to be sorry about. But, but, you know, my friends are over there like, eating their burgers in slow motion, licking their, their chops. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm here with my, my egg and my little oh, slices your, your of turkey and avocado. And your, so it's kind of like a chef salad. I went out with my, uh, I had lunch with my friend Dan a few weeks ago and, and he, he had a Cobb salad and yeah. I remember it seemed very hearty. Yeah. Oh, so they're amazing. They're great. But it is not a thing I would have ever chosen for myself at a Red Robin well, be like and, going, I, and, and I know like, the menu inside and out. It would be like going to like House of Prime Rib and getting like a really good like f- like a filet of sole or something. Where you're like, well, that's good, but like you're kind of missing out on what makes that place special. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Like you read, you always read the the menu, and there's always there's always something like a filet of sole where you say mm. the only person that the only person that's going to order that is a guy who's who's putting a nitroglycerin tablet under his tongue before he, uh, before he sits down at the table. That's a, like, that's, that's a bunker meal. Yeah. You know, like where the scar across his, the scar across his chest from open heart surgery is still throbbing. That's the only guy that's going to eat the, the one fish meal. I, I have a friend who's a vegetarian. A bunch of us uh, went out a few years, a few years back, went to house of prime rib. You've been there, right? Merlin. What? Don't tell me. Don't tell me you've never been there. 
for the entire time we've known each other, which <gasps> now is 10 it's plus years. It's officially 10 plus years. 10 yeah. plus years. You have been talking about the House oh of Oh, my God. I and every so friend bad. of yours, Scott Simpson, Jason Finn even, yeah. Jonathan Colton. Hodgman's all, been there multiple times. They all talk about Hodgman Jesus. It's it's like they a cult. Say, it really is oh, like a cult. You know, the House of Prime Rib, blah, 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 with Merlin, blah, in San Francisco, dirt, dirt. I feel so bad. Well, listen, we need to make a trip. We need to make a trip. We need to schedule. We need to schedule on a uh, a show here and a show up there. We'll bring our families. Not not the, not the House of Prime Rib. You know where you take me when I come visit you? I do. You take the Walgreens. Oh, it's yeah. a, not a, it's Walgreens not a good Walgreens. And we buy. We never we leave our crayon. neighborhood, do we? No. <laughs> so we should tell. Did we tell the story about your pants? Have we ever told that story on here? I'm not sure. <laughs> do you remember that night? What happened? We were rushing off to go to dinner, and you had figured, you'd figured that, I, and this is exactly the kind of thing that drives me nuts with, with people, is like, if I know I have to be somewhere and it might require pants, I'll bring five pairs of pants. And you came to town, we were going to go out to fancy dinner, and you had not checked what pair of pants you grabbed. A, mistake number one. So you showed up, it was kind of late. Do you remember this? You must remember Yes, this. absolutely. We were going to dinner with uh, Mr. Fancy Pants. Mr. Fancy Pants and the other guy. And yeah. uh, and the other, other guy. And so we, um, great guys. But um, we... And, uh, and, you know, and legitimately like fancy nice restaurants in a fancy area. It's this place, it's this place in Knob Hill. And uh, it's really, anyhow, but you got here and you had not checked what pair of pants you grabbed. And I don't know which decade those pants would have worked on you. I don't think those pants would have fit you three years ago. Right. I mean, these pants were little. They were like little boy pants. Yeah. So mistake number one. Mistake number two, you didn't even bother to like grab. You're like, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. And you were driving. You were like bullet. I mean, you were having your San Francisco bullet moment driving down Market Street, <laughs> hyperventilating. I've never seen you so anxious. Yeah. Because you don't be late for this. You're gonna, they're going right. to give you shit if we're late for it. And so <laughs> we go to, in a complete frenzy, we drive. So first of all, you don't have pants, number one. Number two, you've decided you're not even going to bother to bring any pants with you because that would be inappropriate. You're wearing like like big Richard Nixon shorts. <laughs> Yes. With a, with with a suit jacket, you look kind of like like a like a beefy Angus Young. Yeah, we're already we're already late for dinner. We're late. We're on the other side of yeah. uh, you know over here in West Bejesus. We go to yeah. our crappy Goodwill. There's nothing there, and it all costs fifty bucks. Right. And then we finally. That's park. right. We went to that Goodwill up. Uh, I got up a photo. Of you. I got a blurry photo of you. I'll put it up. You and it was just like looking very anxious. Here. It was everything everything was. Uh, they were all dockers with three pleats. Yeah, for like for like eighty dollars. Yeah, things I was not going to touch with my hands. Yeah. So then we we haul ass. And now now you're real anxious cuz yeah. and everything you put on was too small cuz as we've discussed everything at a goodwill only small people die. And yeah, everything right. in a goodwill unless you really spend some time in my experience is is all tiny tiny men clothes or triple extra large. <laughs> right. And luckily you're right in the middle. You're triple extra large because because uh, triple extra large people die, they die young. They die like hell. So anyway, it was just it was and then we got we got to the place we were not sure what to do. We, we got to like the Castro, we parked and and I stayed in the car, and you tore ass in your Angus Young pants, and like ran. And so what happened? Then you went to like a so I, so I so I'm, I'm you're you're like there's got to be some place in the Castro. There's all kinds like, of like vintage stores, fancy boy stores. There's all kinds of stores. Yeah. So here we get down to the Castro. It was like okay, we're just gonna park in the gas station. Mm-hmm. And we parked in the zip car spot. I was very I, uncomfortable. I'm like, you guard the car, and I ran. <laughs> I'm down. going in alone. <laughs> I ran down to in a suit jacket. So I'm in a suit jacket and like underwear. Basically, <laughs> I ran into this vintage store, and I'm like, "Men's pants!" And she's like, "In the back, you know, over by the 
uh, tuxedo jackets or whatever. And it was it was some Castro. It was like on Market like, Street, like in that kind of fancy strip yeah, between Church and it Castro. Was, it, was, yeah. it was like a thrift vintage kind of. Oh, it's real upscale. That that area. I mean, as far as like you're not just going to go in somewhere and get like a like a skinny tie for a buck. Yeah. No. I mean, that was it. Was it had been? It was. It was, uh, how do you say, a curated store. And I run in the back and I'm flipping through all these things and they're all, it's just like a bunch of hammer pants and, (laughs) and, uh, and ironic sweaters. (laughs) Yeah. Just like garbage, 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 garbage. And then I come upon this amazing pair of, so what were they? They were reproduction buckle back (laughs) wool pants that a forest ranger in the 20s would have worn like very full leg very heavy wool oh, outdoorsy pants. very outdoorsy pants and i looked at them and i was like and they're you know kind of high waist like buckle back a uh, very earlier style and i was like these pants not only are the right pants but these pants are dynamite these pants i'm going to walk into this knob hill steakhouse and everybody in the place is going to have to reevaluate what they chose, <laughs> which is how I like to walk into a place. And it so worked I out in the end. On. It worked out. It worked out. I, I'm in now. Then, so I go into the dressing room. I wear the pants out. <laughs> I'm waiting in line behind, a, you know, behind a guy uh, dressed a pair like of Ich- shorts. I- Ichabod Crane. <laughs> no, I left the shorts. So oh, I was just really? Like, Adios. I'm waiting, waiting in line behind a guy that's wearing a, you know, like a, yeah, so like a tri-cornered hat who's walking. <laughs> market and he's in here buying puka shells or something and i'm like come on come on come on come on i throw my money down on you know throw throw cash down where i don't have to wait run back up to the gas station where you're sitting in the zip car spot drumming your fingers on the dashboard and off we go we show up by the time we got to van ness i honestly thought i was going to die you, you, it, no, you know what? It wasn't even like, it wasn't even Steve McQueen. You were, you were Gene Hackman in the French Connection, like banging on the dashboard. We were going fast. You were chasing the heroin dealers. But it was, but, uh, but you know, I just, it's, it's interesting. And, and then again, now the fact that you left the shorts, see now I would take the shorts because I, I, I contingencies, right? You never know what's going to happen. You might want to go skinny dipping. You might want to go swimming. Well, That's you're right. not skinny dipping, but you know, pants, pants swimming. In fact, what we did is we went and everybody, everybody after the after the dinner was smoking pot out of an e-cigarette. Yeah, and I made fun and, of your friend. Yeah, and oh yeah, you did. You did a very good job of making fun of that guy. I've stopped doing that. I don't make fun of people anymore. I don't know. That was pretty great. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. You, well, um, you know, everybody had had a few cocktails, yes. and and you were just calling attention to the fact that his house was vulgar. His taste was vulgar. I didn't say. I don't remember any of that. Well, you were just like, this is a very expensive house in a very, it's a, it's very um, expensive. Everything in it is very expensive. This is something you know about me is there's a couple situations where I shut down. I shut down when you yell at me and I cry. I yeah. shut down when people start lying compulsively. Uh, I can't be yeah, you compulsive get very, liars. You get very mad at that. Yeah. Well, um, I, uh, you know what it is? It's very similar. Compulsive liars and, and people who are ostentatious, probably not in this case. This guy actually had a lot of dough, but who are like like insecure, falsely fancy, high status, you know, uh, douchebags. And 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 this is something I picked up from a friend of mine in college. But like somebody says, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's my uh, that's my Thursday BMW, and I go, wow, that's a really expensive car. Yes, you and, did. I, but for yes. a while I'll play along, but then it gets to like, wow. That's a really big boat. 
Because <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say. I will not be I will not be I am not going to be a Vichy. I'm not going to be complicit. Yeah. I'm not going to go go gladly along with this little game you're supposed to play. It's the same reason I can't stand like f- like fake friendly like tchotchkes kind of waiters. It just it makes me apoplectic. I just right. How are we doing tonight? Yeah, you know, what we're doing is shut up and take my order. <laughs> yeah. Stand up like a gentleman and take my fucking order. Hold the tomato between your <laughs> knees. Well, no, this party was fantastic because every new room that we went to in this house, there was a new it was re- it was like a curtain parting and it was revealed a new level of pretentious vulgarity it wasn't so, that bad but it was really well, fancy and he the lived Japanese there alone was soaking what tub yeah. and the the shower stalls that had pebble floors he had a bathroom with its own bathroom yeah and That's you were just like. everywhere, everywhere went just increases louder and louder <laughs> wow how much did that cost? You that, must have really spent a lot of money on that. And the guy was oblivious to you. That's a really to, large piece of granite. Yeah, that is an artwork that must have been very expensive in the store. <laughs> and then and at one point, I don't know if it was that bad. We're standing on his roof of his whatever With his it is. Gorgeous, gorgeous five story house. Yeah. And I look, everybody's looking at the at beautiful San Francisco, which is panoramic view. And I look behind, I look off the back side of the house. And down uh, in the cavern between his giant house and the little 1920s bungalow behind it, the five-foot space between his house and the, and the wall of this little house. And I realized that, oh my God, this little bungalow behind his newly constructed house had for 100 years or for 90 years, that little bungalow had an incredible view of San Francisco from its yard. And then this this giant 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, modernist monolith slammed into the vacant lot on the corner. God, that, that, would, that would be so frustrating. Blocked out the light. And so, as, as we're all standing around smoking pot with the e-cigarette, myself excluded, I say to our host, um, so, uh, so, who are the neighbors? Like, uh, you know, like, what's their story? And he kind of looked over his shoulder down at the house, and he was like, huh? Oh, uh, I don't know. And we went back to talking about the music business, and I was like, wow, he doesn't even... He's in the aristocracy. He doesn't even know them. Like, he doesn't even understand... He doesn't recognize that there's a neighborhood behind his house. It was also... <clears throat> this is nothing. It's a beautiful house, and he's a very nice guy. It's just that... Uh, Super nice. The- <laughs> Never say a bad word about the guy. Good, good, good cook makes her own clothes. <laughs> Super nice guy. Yeah. Pretty face. Yeah. Uh, sweet guy. Never married. <laughs> it, uh, you know, now, you know, it's, it was also, it's kind of in that style that became popular when lofts started getting big in San Francisco. So I'm sure it's the same way in, in, uh, in Seattle, but you get the place that's got that combination of like, it's, it's kind of like a place where people would work and it looks a little like a boat and the stairs, the, the stairs all have that like wire you know, high tensile strength, like wire stuff instead of like, right. like normal, like, you know, slats or whatever. And yeah, they have the, the, the lights extra big, like kind oh, of and like it slides, like you're in the, in the meatpacking district. And then you get those lights with the, with the covers over them. So that when you're unloading your forklift, you won't accidentally knock out your porch light. Right. 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 Gotta have it's, it's funny. I mean, cause that, that, if you go to like a city where, where, I mean, let's be honest in most places, maybe in, uh, maybe in New York. Sure. Maybe in Seattle. Sure. But in most places here, they made that on purpose in 1998. Mm-hmm. To look like that and it's it's kind of i don't know it's not even as cool as living in a tree house it's kind of it's kind of like i don't know it's like uh it's like the uh the, the single uh 45 year old man's version of a race car bed 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. They, I'm, I'm sitting just, here reading I, a Batman comic, so I, I'm not going to say anything. I know, but you're not sitting in a race car bed. <laughs> not that I, you know. Not yet. Not because they don't make a king. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I, I barely... drove past the, the new Seattle, uh, uh, the uh, the new University of Washington football stadium the other day. Hmm. As and which they are they are kind of rebuilding this football stadium. And your, your father was an ardent fan, right? He was, he was. I and mean, we we used to go to we used to go to every <laughs> game that we could, and sit up in the absolute highest. And sometimes seat. he'd fall down and roll. He would at one time. In I love that story. Sorry. But so it's so a new stadium. New stadium, and I'm driving past it, and I'm I like I'm astonished to the point where I almost had to pull over, because I was so gape mouthed at the fact that. The $700 million bond or whatever it was that they passed to build this thing and all the architects that had to had to pass uh, is rubber stamp this plan that they have made this football stadium, a 50,000 seat football stadium. They made it look like a Panera bread. Like <laughs> what it has. It has all the art. Uh, is that, is that like a bread bowl? Bread bowl one. It's less like a baguette. It's more like a big, big roundy. Oh no! You know, a P- Panera Bread is Panera one of those uh, one of those strip mall uh, strip mall bagel oh, places. Oh, sure, okay. Out in the out in the hinterlands, it looks. John, it a, st- is, a stadium shouldn't look like that. That's that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's so architecturally Ugh. like uh, undefined. It just it's like oh, you. It's like Tinker Toys plus faux brick. Well done. Round of applause for everybody. Like. And I and I'm sure that there's 10% for art or whatever. And you walk inside, and there is a statue of uh, like a a seagull or a or Heis, the, Joe Heisman or somebody. But like <laughs> the, the Joe Heisman, <laughs> the, the exterior of this thing could not be like it isn't unappealing. It is non-appealing. There's no, there's nothing. You just you look at it, and and your heart. Just keeps pumping at the I same think, rate that it was pumping. I think before. you, I think you nailed it. Um, it's it's not not unlike the the fake boathouse or or fake warehouse house thing. In, in that sometimes you can look at something like that and you can't immediately put your finger on it. Like you could say, okay, this is vulgar and garish and like weird, but but maybe on closer inspection you go like, you know what, that's not real brick. Like that's you know that's the equivalent of wood paneling. Like you've you've put that as a face. On like the cheapest conceivable earthquake-safe building materials to keep the place from you know just falling down the first time people sit in it. But there's something about it that like and and you know, you, have you been to a Giants game? You've been to a Giants game. You went with Mr. Fancy, right? I have never been to a Giants game. Well, our, our we have a very fancy stadium. You know, I, I mean, they were way ahead of, ahead of the curve on the because it used to be Candlestick Park, which is freezing. Well, yeah, there's, but there's like a whole team of uh, like they hire a bunch of kayakers right to catch their. Their their old balls. I think they're uh, interns. No, no, they're huh. they're unpaid ball catchers, like uh-huh. a lot of people in high school. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm. And uh, and and but it's you know it's got it all. It's got the garlic fries. It's got the uh, you know of course you can get the bread bowl with the sure. sourdough bread bowl. Oh, sure, we got one of those here in Seattle. I hate that shit. Yeah, Ugh. it's got a Wolfgang pucks in it. Ugh. Although, although I guess every airport. It's like airport has a food. Pucks. Yes, California pizza. Kitchen yeah. or whatever. No, but, but this our stadium. It looks like garish. Sushi. Is what I'm saying. Okay. All right. You guys got good sushi there because of the Pacific and whatnot. Yeah, we do. We uh, Seattle's known for its seafood. You know what's good? It, my wife won't shut up about those noodles we got that one time. 
Oh, this is fascinating. This has got to be fascinating to people. Yeah, the the the, uh, the high nutrition shaved barley green noodles. Oh my goodness, those are awfully Seattle's good. For. I'm sure I'm sure our listeners, particularly our international listeners, are enjoying <laughs> this uh, this tour okay, of the West Coast. Let's 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 bring it back. Let's bring it back to what we're eating these days. Because right, <laughs> yeah, I you know. So, but you know what? You know hmm. the big hack of this whole thing. Every time I say hack, you you sniffle. <laughs> It's because you're. I like your science fiction book words. My my big, my big, <laughs> my my big hack. <laughs> What's your big hack, John? Was I made all this bacon? Right, I made two pounds of bacon. As, as you, <laughs> you made out a bacon hack. <laughs> it's a bacon hack, and you think you've got every bacon hack, but I'm telling you, this is a new one. I think I almost wrote a book about him. I got the. I got those little snack bags. Not the, the little Ziploc snack bags. I'm talking about the half-size bags that are only good for like ten candy corns. Right? Oh, like you would get like a like a like a dime bag or like you know what I mean, like little rolly ones, like for kids' snacks. You put Cheerios in it, that kind of thing. That's right. That's okay. right. Little yeah. short short bag. And so I, I I've got all this bacon cooked. It's still it is uh, and I, I've cooked it so that it's crisp, but it's still warm and pliable. And I put four bacon's. Per Ziploc bag, oh, so smart. I'm making four bacon, bacon po- four four strip bacon pods, <laughs> and then I love this hack. Then I push so all the you air cook bacon, and you put I it push, in the bag. <laughs> I push all the air out of the bag, right? And then I'm stacking bacon pod servings in the freezer. Oh, that's good. And then every time I'm like, hmm, bacon. That's like a twenty second reheat. Isn't it? I mean, it doesn't oh, take no, no, long. No, no, here's the, ha- it's a double hack, Merlin. <laughs> this okay. is a double hack. I pulled the, fir- the first time I grabbed the, the first bacon pod out and I was like, huh, I'm, I'm on my way to the microwave to put them in there for a 30 second reheat. And I break off a little chunk of it and put it in my mouth. No. Frozen <gasps> bacon. What a treat. Is like the popsicle of the gods. It is so delicious. You're, you're you know, like the Thomas Edison of cured meats. Because it because of the, the way that bacon is, because of its consistency, its natural, crunchy, meaty consistency, freezing it does not change its consistency at all. It is still just like crispy bacon. So you, but it you, is have, you don't want to drain it. You want to drain it very well, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. You, 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 as you're cooking the bacon, you take it out and you put it on some paper towels so it's not covered in coagulated fat. Oh boy, that sounds good. And then frozen bacon, and you know, four strips at a time, perfect serving. You get four strips. Okay, so then frozen bacon in a in a mini bag. Check you 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 make a make a fist. You crunch up the bacon in the mini bag, and there's your topping for your for your quarter iceberg lettuce salad with blue cheese dressing. You got this shit wired tight, my friend. Boom, boom, boom. Every day a new use. For four strips of frozen bacon, because huh. you're not gonna—you don't have to wonder. You're not sitting there because it's a little bit of a production. It's like making pancakes almost. It's something yeah. where you go like, oh, I should make bacon, but making like it's bacon. a kind of—it takes a few minutes. Yeah, and but just having it around, my goodness, your whole house gets greasy as fuck. It's terrible. And once you're making bacon, as you know, it is much less effort to keep making bacon, right? You have you have so, you have inertia. You have bacon inertia at That's that point. Right. 
And you could, if making two pounds is like making 10 pounds. And there's never enough. I don't mean to get into the whole internet bacon thing because who fucking cares? But, right. but, but, but I will tell you every time I always think I have enough bacon. I, I now buy three pounds of bacon when I know you're coming to the house. And it's still, it's like crab legs or, or, you know, or something. There's never enough. Right. So three pounds of bacon, make it, put them in bacon pods, freeze them, and you will, and your whole, it's, it's, it's a complete transformation. It'd be great if you had a job, too. You could take it to your work that you, you don't really have. Exactly. You put it in the freezer, and you could have a treat. Anytime you go get a cup of coffee, and have, have some fucking frozen bacon. Have, have four bacons. Okay, I'm doing that tonight. I wonder if it'd be good with ham. Probably not as good because yeah. of the consistency. It would, it would depend. I think, I think chip part, a tooth. Of, part of what makes it incredible is that the bacon is already thin and crispy, and freezing it doesn't doesn't really change that. Like mm -hmm. the, the mouth feel, if you will permit me mm. to use the term mouth feel, mm -hmm. the mouth feel of the bacon is unchanged, except it is now freezing cold like a popsicle. Let's take a couple calls. We have uh, Ryan on the line from Grand Rapids. He had some questions about things that he could do with leftover roast beef. Ryan, you're on uh, Roderick on the line. Hi, Ryan. Hey, hey, uh, long time fan, first time caller. Uh, food. Uh, here's what I'm thinking God, about I hate with roast food. beef. I hate when people talk about food. I hate. I oh, I know. No, it's I like terrible. what we do. I hate. It's like it's like orgasms and farts. Like I just I don't want to think about anybody else's. Uh, other people's food. Or orgasms or farts. <sighs> minor, minor, I don't, I minor. I never awesome. want to think about other people's farts. Except half of Twitter now is just people talking about their farts. <laughs> Liter I love literally? thinking about other people's orgasms. Hmm. Boy, I you mean, are really a big-hearted fella. Um, are people people are actually talking about their farts? I think it's one of those. Oh, you mean an, an analogy ish, Lee? No, I'm. I, I mean, literally about their farts. I, I feel like it is a kind of. Uh, I, I might have done that thing. So three or four times in my Twitter life, I have. Here followed, we go back to Twitter. <laughs> I've followed a few people. And then followed the people that they seemed to think were the best. And pretty soon you kind of end up in a cul-de-sac yeah. of people where you're like, oh, I'm over here. In, it's called uh, the this... Paul F. Tompkins uh, singularity. Yeah, or, you know, like I ended up kind of over in the Jake Fogelnest camp That's not a real recently. name. That's not a real name. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you follow people, you unfollow them. I, I'm fine with all that. But every once in a while, I realize that I have followed numerous people and now i'm over somewhere in a side land that feels like the center of everything but it's really just what this group of people is talking about and i'm ready to kind of back out of that room quietly yeah and close the door behind me and that that group of people is the people i've been following some of them are weird twitter superstars and, um, <clears throat> you know, various uh, Twitter comedians. And I'm just, I'm ready to kind of just back out of there and close the door. Uh, yeah, I, yes. I, um, I don't like to follow that many people on Twitter who are like me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really, I, we've had this conversation. I, I, I just, I can't follow too many of the comedy insiders. It's just, no. it's, it's too exhausting. No, it's too bad. And, and, and the new thing that it's I'm not really funny. They're not funny. They're not funny. It's, it's not funny. Like, well, no. Kim Marino's funny. Like, so there are people who are funny. They can be funny. But last yeah. time I watched Louis C.K., who's one of my all-time favorite performers, his, his Twitter was like the bulletin board at the laundromat. Yeah. It was just yeah. awful. He's going to, oh, you're going to be uh, over at, uh, at Slappy <laughs> Joe's this week? That's great. Yeah. Lost dog. At <laughs> <laughs> J. Professor Giggleton's. That's great. Um, BJO hand jobs. The, the people that I'm really enjoying on the internet now are the ones who very selflessly curate a, a stream of interest. 
right? Mm-hmm. A stream of consciousness. Where they're, sort of like a blog used to be. Like a blog. Uh, they are micro-blogging. That's mm. exact. It is a micro-blogging <sighs> platform. Micro-blogging? Really? Somebody should invest in this idea. Ooh, micro-blogging. Mm-hmm. I think you um, might be a thought leader, John. <laughs> where they, let, me, let me just... Could you do a deep dive on this. this for me? Let me just open chew the on this idea. Okay, let's, let's put a pin in it. Well, you know what we need to do? We need to get let's Elon see. Musk on this. <laughs> Would you stop talking about him, please? <laughs> <laughs> I remember where I heard about the Google Balloon story now. It's oh. that, uh, it's that, uh, um, Bill Gates thinks it might not be a great idea. What? Well, you know, when I was with them until you got to that comma, because as long as they're kids with malaria, I was like, oh God, no, I get it. He's like few people help the world the way his foundation helps the world. Like, mm-hmm. in fact, apparently turns out, well, I don't get into it cause I, I can't afford to get the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation on my ass. Are but, you afraid uh, that the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation is also listening to our conversations and keeping a log? I think they are much more likely to do something with the information that I couldn't understand. (laughs) They they might come and inoculate me in a way that makes my life very complicated (laughs) and not even like in a time frame I can understand. It might be I wake up like a year and a half from now and I'm just, I'm just sitting and like giggling and playing with my spit or something. (laughs) Sitting under an apple tree in New England. (laughs) I wish I'd agreed about the Google balloons. (laughs) Oh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Hey, I like that Pearl Jam single. Oh, is there a new Pearl Jam song? <clears throat> they got a Pearl Jam song. It's good. I don't know why I yeah. told you that. Every once in a while, Pearl Jam, uh, uh, you know, surprises me with a new rock jam that I feel like is a is a totally rad, valid rock jam. Yeah, but um, but it doesn't I, happen. But, it hasn't happened before. This might be my first like Pearl Jam song I really like. Yeah, on the whole, Pearl Jam. Uh, nice guys. Is, Never married. Well, to, to me, I, I like I like them all. I like them personally. They seem like they, wonderful. They fellas. are the uh, Bruce Springsteen of the Northwest. In that, <laughs> in that Get house. ready, here it that comes. I don't, that I that I understand why people like Bruce Springsteen. I understand okay. his appeal. It's been a while I since really I've do. updated the list, John. Let's let's go through these together. Religion. <laughs> I really Twitter. do. Twitter. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, oh, but uh, I music. I think we shouldn't talk about music. Oh no, sorry, not not the music, the culture. No. Is that what I, I personally don't don't. Uh, I, uh, Bruce Springsteen does not move me. Okay, <clears throat> gonna put him on the list too. And you know, and I and I have a friend now. We have we have a friend. Uh, I have a friend, a British guy that you that you that you might know. You got a Brit who, uh, who is who has become personal friends with bruce springsteen he goes over to his house wow and wow. i get and i keep getting like tech he, he'll like he'll blow up my phone like you know uh hey guess where i am and i'm like I don't ah, that's, know. that's creepy he shouldn't do that and then, that's really creepy. and then he's like it's a, it's him and bruce sitting around what is it bruce is and just I, sitting there watching him text is he out fixing his car what's yeah, he doing no he's, no, he's like he's no, like i'm just bragging hey, about being in your house to all my friends yeah, he's like hey bruce i'm gonna send a picture of you to my friend is that cool and he's like sure and so, you know, sends a, sends a, like a selfie. Of I him bet and Bruce he's a really, really nice guy. Seems like an amazing guy. He seems like and a I, very, very nice guy and generous in a quiet way, which I really like. I am dying for the opportunity to go to Bruce Springsteen's house because this is not a completely unrealistic opportunity now. Mm-hmm. Like it is conceivable that at some point I will be back East. I will be in the New Jersey area and my friend will say, why don't we drop in on Bruce? Let's pop and I'll, I'll say, text him. I'll text I'll say, Bruce Springsteen. Fuck yes, let's do this. Okay, so help me understand. Uh, but, I don't want to. I don't want to get into it, but I want to find out. Go ahead. Go ahead. So well, there's so there's two there's two problems. I'm shielding of, myself, John, because I really like Bruce Springsteen, and yeah. I and I don't want to get into a thing with you. It makes me cry. I, 
I know, I know. I don't want to get into a thing that makes you cry either. But I, but I, <laughs> I but I'm afraid. First of all, that saying that I, that Bruce Springsteen does not move me is like there is a Bruce Springsteen NSA. I think he does not care one he iota. He doesn't care, but there, but all those people that are like out in the bushes around his house are who oh. I'm afraid of. And then also, when I get there, <clears throat> like, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. Like, I really liked the way that you... Oh, here we go. I really liked the way that you totally dominated the culture of America during my high school years. Yeah. Is this for my benefit? It was, it was really amazing. Did you ever read about H.A. Weberman? Mm. The guy who, like was the self-appointed Dylan scholar who used to like go through Dylan's trash. And then like Dylan comes out and starts yelling at him and he records the conversation and shit. Super (laughs) creepy. (laughs) What are you doing in that garbage? You're like a pee, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Go go search AJ Weberman. It's real, real creepy. But like, can you imagine like somebody out there who, I guess it's like kind of like being a Royal watcher. Can you imagine being a Royal watcher? Well, there's all, I mean, there's like, yeah, there are self-appointed vultures, like in all the trees, watching everybody. Like, I, <laughs> I, I told you, didn't I? I mean, Sorry, I don't know. That's a fantastic it, line. It's, it it seems songs. like, it seems, it seems like as you're driving up the long, long lane, the, the, uh, the, the lane with, with the, with giant alder trees on either side that leads up to Bruce Springsteen's house. And there are probably like, some hundred and fifty thousand dollar thoroughbred horses trotting alongside your car, and, and, and uh, a personal, somehow a personal union steam yeah, steamboat but, steel mill. He's got somehow. people out there building building automobile tires. <laughs> Getting very hard today because you you don't like Billy Joel for the same reason, right? Yeah. Your rental minivan suddenly transforms <laughs> into a '57 T-Bird, and you're like, well, "How did I get here? I'm in, I'm in. Uh, it's like I, I, I like I'm in uh, Willy Wonka land." Hey, man, hit, hit that button. Why? What does it do? <laughs> Just hit it. Why? It turns it into a vintage submarine. <laughs> but in all I'm the in trees, my own artificial bay. Like like Chris Christie is up there with binoculars and a and a crossbow. Uh, <laughs> And everybody's up there like, you don't love Bruce enough. You know, the list of people that love Bruce that should be able to go to Bruce's house before me is, you know, because that's the feeling that those people have. They love Bruce so much. If anybody's going to get to go to Bruce's house, it should be me. And the list, that list is like, you're like, you're like an, you're like an Amazon.com of wrong. I don't even know where to begin. Like you don't, you don't like Bruce Springsteen as a person. You don't like his music. You have nothing. You've already said you stipulated. You have nothing to talk to him about, but you're worried that his personal NSA, which includes a still rather portly Bowman is going to somehow get this information and then scotch the trip that you don't want to have with the musician that you don't really like or if not scotch it then i don't know i mean just you know how it is when you when when uh it's when just you're driving, within reach John. when you're driving up a country lane and you feel like people are in the trees scorning you <laughs> oh yes that yeah, would be that's a terrible self, feeling self-appointed vultures in all the trees yeah well you know yeah no i i i've been disturbed by trees i've been thinking a lot about bows and arrows lately Serious? Oh, because you're reading comic books again. No, also, also, yeah. Well, I was I watched this martial arts movie, uh, Wuxia. Right. Is that the name of the genre? Uh, called Hero. And there's a there's this. You got to see this movie. You got to yeah, see yeah. this movie. Hero. There's no question. Hero. It's it's amazing. It's like the it's like the greatest martial arts movie of all time. Hero. And Hero with the yeah. with the with the Jet Li. 
Yeah, yeah, Jet Li. And also, I think he's that the, he's Matt the one Maggie that runs Chung. along the treetops, right? Yes, but this is better than Crouching Tiger. He's it such a ninja is. that he can run along. He can he can jump from leaf to leaf. Oh, it's astonishing. Wait, but uh, what was my point? Oh, yeah, arrows. Whew. Man, they got some great bow and arrow scenes. We're like, you, you know, you've got a big army. Can you imagine how scary it would be to be somewhere when hundreds and hundreds of guys with all different kinds of bows and, you know, crossbows and longbows and the kind where you lay on your back and pull the thing back? Can you imagine seeing like 15,000 arrows coming at you? That's like, that's like the scare, just about the scariest thing I can think of. Uh, it's, I, literally all I have done for months and months is imagine what it would be like huh. to, to be there. Well, we've talked about the battle of Hastings. Yeah, we sure have. And we, and the, the lack of the, the lack of, of Bowman on the English side, we've talked about Agincourt. Yes. Like a rain of arrows. You know, you don't, I mean, it's not like a bullet where you don't see it coming it's like you do see it coming. You Absolutely just don't know which one nothing. has your name on it. Nothing to do about it. Nothing. There's, just there's like, no way you could outrun it. You just you crouch down. You put your little you put your little wood shield over your head, and you just because this is the terrible thing. In most cases, if you got an arrow in the knee, that's no better than one between the eyes. You're no. just you're just going to die of infection now. Right. right, it's like just, in Pass of Glory. The guy's like, "Are you more scared of of dying or of being hurt?" And if you think about it, it's you're really more scared of being hurt. And in that case, of the like whatever asepsis or whatever, like the fact that you're going to sit there, they're going to have to move on. And the best thing that could happen is if your friend comes up and kills you because you're just going to yeah. die of an infection in horrible pain. Like imagine getting shot in the gut with an arrow. Ugh. Boy, it's pretty and, cool though. And, it's like artillery, right? Same idea. You got uh, from so far away, but you see that. I bet you got a good ten seconds to go. Holy shit! And just hear this, like. We should this watch this movie. It's good. Rain of arrows coming down, and they then, go out and they break know, them with swords. It's really cool. When you when when you survive an attack of of uh, archers, I bet you feel pretty good about yourself. Especially if you can uh, become a banjo playing stand up comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse, God, that was stupid. I'm sorry I said that. We should talk about a, some more about food. He was a really okay. stupid comedian who was so funny. He was so stupid. It has though. not aged well, John. So much of that, with the possible exception of, of the, among the majors, R- Richard Pryor has aged best. But yeah. but Robin Williams, um, I mean Bob Newhart. Well, to my sensibility, stands up a thousand times better. Totally bulletproof. Oh my goodness! Still so funny, so weird. Yeah. In its way, I mean, but what a what a I mean, it's been very inspirational to me that that the button down mind. Yeah, and the one Bob. side of a phone conversation is funny. It's just very very funny. But no, Robin Williams. My gosh. Now I just want to stipulate here. This 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 could be I also want to talk about Billy Joel. Um, <clears throat> nice guy, nice guy, uh, Robin Williams. Have I told you about Robin Williams stories? Well, you met Robin Williams? No, no, you know what? It's not appropriate. Um, yeah. I was going to say when my family was uh, staying at this house in another state, this person mm-hmm. had a giant, like probably at least at least like 150 cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. And I think this person who owns the house that we were staying in renting was is probably five to 10 years older, 
maybe just five to eight years older because oh. it's like three Pat Benatar records, five or six <laughs> Billy Joel records, uh-huh. like uh, three REM albums that aren't that great. But like, right. in, 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 you know, in the any original case, Eddie, Eddie Murphy Raw or the, the one before that. <laughs> first yeah, Eddie Hollywood <laughs> Bowl or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, first of all, it's the first time my daughter ever saw a cassette tape, which wow. really what made me like? think. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to exaggerate it for fake comedic effect, but it was really fucking funny. She opened it up. She didn't know how to open the case. Cause remember like they're kind of weird and fragile. Sure. I still don't know it. how to open those well, cases. Well, no. Remember the later ones where it had the full J card, not J card, but like a U card, like go all the yeah. way around. Yeah. Did you have a cassette of, uh, did they make cassettes of, uh, I'm sure they made like 50 gajillion gram, uh, LPs, but did you ever have cassettes of like, uh, where she can do his arm? Did they make no, cassettes? Did Josh we, we make never, cassettes? We never made... Uh, so, so the Western State Hurricanes only ever really had a cassette. Right, released. the Phil X cassette, right? Yeah. You still, but, have, uh, you still have a copy of that? Still have a couple of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but by the time the first Long Winter's record came out, it was the everybody knew that cassettes were not a viable form of of releasing music. Isn't it strange? Because, you know, I... I I went through a phase where, I mean, I was kind of on the bubble. I had a stereo, but to like listen to it in my car circa 1988, uh, of course I would have to dub it, you know, right. from the LP to the cassette. And that was an art, like to get the loudness exactly right. And I remember my friend Richard had a CD player that would scan the entire CD to find the loudest point. So you could set the, uh, set, set Oh, out. how cool. What a cool, isn't that, isn't that clever it, idea? Was it a Nakamichi? <clears throat> no, I might've been a Macintosh. I'm not sure. But, uh, or a, Fisher, <laughs> but, yeah, um, probably wasn't a Fisher. Fisher. I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was always, it was like an intermediate, like medium. Cause unless you were John Lennon, you didn't have a record player in your car. So, but here's the thing. If you bought the cassette copy of something, it sounded like shit compared to the album. I, I never did that once and it never made sense to me. I would see people with their, with the cassette, I did it, you know, of, of the pretenders or whatever. And I'd be like, why didn't you just buy the LP and then record it onto a 99 cent cassette? Yeah. And then you get two records for the price of one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I mean, like, I remember what, uh, Alcatraz, the, 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 the first post, the, the Steve Vai one had that on cassette. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, the, the rainbow one with, uh, since you've been gone. Yeah. Like still, I paid eight bucks for that. Anyway, this yeah, guy, right. so I, it's, it was my daughter's introduction to cassettes and it was her first major introduction to Billy Joel. Cause I played a lot. And I think I might be a little bit back into Billy Joel, John. Oh my God. He's got a couple of really good records. Well, I mean, Billy, Billy Joel is perfect. Uh, he's perfect for someone your daughter's age. It's they're right about it. That that's right about he's it. Saying, the intellectual. He's saying he's he's a. Never mind. It's, I'm saying, I'm saying that it's kids' music. It's getting very hard today. <laughs> that's a great jam, though. That's I, a that's uh, a great record. Yeah, I, I I I gotta say, Allentown. I still catch myself singing it. That and that's his that's his Beatles record. And you know what's a good song on there? There's one song on there. I you know, John, I hate this. I hate when this happens. So, so many songs from about 1981 to even like 1990 suffer. And I'm not gonna go into the gating, but I'm just gonna say like through the 80s, like the production is so thin. It's crazy, and the the, the keyboards, the, the synthesizers are so lame. There's this one song called Surprises. It's really good. Don't get excited and no surprises at all. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that song. But it's like it's it really it's got that like a like a prophet or a one of those yeah, really squeaky Yamaha synth- DX7. I think it was before that, but it's uh, oh god. Do you remember when the DX7 got popular? Super frustrating. Do I? 
Do I? It's on every record for the next five years. Whenever I hear Tina Turner, uh, whenever I hear that What's Love Got to Do with a Private Dancer record, to me, it just mm-hmm. sounds like somebody at a mall playing a demo of the DX7. Yeah, right. Or, 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 or in a, yeah, it's it's like church music because that, that fake those... harmonica that was on like every record. <laughs> oh, the DX7 harmonica. I, you know, I feel like I feel like I should make a record with gated. I mean, I should make a record full stop. But if I was going you to make a plan, one, you need a general plan with gated full, snares, like, gated snares, <laughs> and DX7 harmonicas, and like, yeah, sure, just Radio Shack sounds. Can I sing like Billy Joel on it? <laughs> no, 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 no! You have to be a You know what I'll give you, John? Can I give you a freebie? His lyrics, not always great. And his lyrics actually sometimes just actually don't make sense. I never wow. really realized it until this listen through o- over vacation. But some of his lyrics, at one point in Allentown, I think he says something about the graduations hang on the wall. Yeah. The graduations hang on the wall. It's like, what does that mean? Does he mean diploma? Does, does he mean I, like mortarboard? What does that mean? He's trying to, you, you know, that scene in Deer Hunter uh-huh. that that lasts forty five minutes. It's like get to the part with the with the get, get to Vietnam. <laughs> get to, Can we please get, get to, to Vietnam? Fucking Vietnam? I never. This is like a fourth rate deliverance. Move on, Chimino. Move on. Now, Am I, I right? I, there's forty five minutes of them sitting in that bar <sighs> in some upstate town, and it's just like the broken ass town. It's like a characterization bomb went off. Like. Ugh. And it, and every it's just a bunch of families that have been living there for generations and the dad worked at the factory and the granddad worked at the factory and they're just sitting in this bar with these these Schaefer beer signs <laughs> on the walls and you just feel that that movie like the, the the that scene is so long and so like unendurable and you just feel like oh the 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 whole point of this is to make me feel to make me feel exactly what it's like to be to grow up in one of those shabby little Pennsylvania shithole towns, and that is every time I see that scene, I am just transported into the mind of Billy Joel, and I feel <laughs> I feel like his, you're totally his entire right. catalog, I never would have thought of that, but you're totally right. His well, whole they- oeuvre and his whole all his fans—they're all living in that first forty-five minutes of of Deer Hunter. Right. Okay. Well, here's here's another one for you though. Is like, do you know that you know that one song? <clears throat> it's like kind of like across. It sounds like across between like Tony Tony Bennett and Randy Newman. Um, is it is it New York State of Mind? I got a New York State of Mind. But the thing <laughs> is, he, when he sings the song, it kind of goes like this, and they're like, oh, "Wow, he's kind of trying to do Tony, but he's really kind of trying to do Randy Newman." And it occurred to yeah. me, like Randy Newman, to his peril over the years. Um, or, you know, stupid people's fault. But I mean, he writes songs that are from a character's point of view. Yeah. Like short people is not about short people being inferior. It's about some dickhead who thinks short people are inferior in some ways. Right. I mean, right. he sings from this character like he sings as a slave master. Sure. Right? And he's the expert at it. Billy Joel sings from a character, Precisely. but every character is him. <laughs> it's like, but it's like a first draft of a, of a five paragraph essay. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced that that voice that you're hearing is actually Billy Joel singing like John Lennon singing like Tony Bennett. Oh, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a song. The, uh, what's it called? Uh, Layla, Lila, Karen, Jennifer. There's some song on the nylon curtain, which is a very good Lila, record. Layla, Karen, Jennifer. Yeah. It's a Tom Waits song. <laughs> <laughs> Starting down the column comes Jennifer Jason Alexander. Great. And she says, Yeah, you're going to need change from that. I said, You know what, dude? 
<laughs> so the graduation, let me read this to you. So the graduations hang on the wall, but they never really helped us at all. No, no. they never taught us what was real. Iron and Not Coke. Not graduations. <laughs> Iron and Coke, chromium steel. That's right. Those are real. <clears throat> the graduations hang on the wall, but they never really helped us at all. No, they never taught us what was real. <sighs> Fucking graduations. But I'm telling you, it grabs you. They just sent us to Vietnam. You hear, I mean, oh, go down. It's a good record, I'm telling you. All right. There's this one song in there that really sounds like a, like a, it's, I don't know. You know what's weird? He also lives in that weird zone where it's like, you can't tell if it's a parody or not. No, no. I, it, it, you can tell that it isn't a parody. And, and but he it, thinks it doesn't it, read as a parody. It reads like a parody. But there's certain like you intonations. You know what I mean? There's certain ways of singing that you go, oh, only Brian Wilson. Nobody sings like that except Brian Wilson, for example. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. But he's, you know, he's used to chewing up the carpet in these, uh, <laughs> like, in these like, casinos up in Schenectady. And, oh, man. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's like, he's lost. He's like David Copperfield. He's lost any sense of, oh, and, he, did, and he, lo- he lost it in 72. He never had it. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm coming at America. Ah, the piano sound like a carnival. I'm coming at it from a different perspective because, of course, sure as you are. as you remember, I grew up in an in America, but also far away from America oh, in the go. great state of Alaska, floating and America, over it like a great cloud. That's right. America was already kind of a fetish item to us because these places were incredibly exotic, like Eastern Pennsylvania. Some some uh, Adirondack mining town had was as exotic a place as as any place in the Ural Mountains to us. You know what I mean? Like it was just as foreign. And so I I came at all of that culture that and I'm, and I include like uh, Johnny little Johnny Cougar and, oh, uh, God, and Bob Seger and. <laughs> And uh, and Bruce, I mean, all of these guys, and this well, especially kind of when, like when John East... Cougar got into like that 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 farm aid phase where he got all the, the was, not Don Lit. who produced his record. He had that that who's the Wasn't dude? It Bob He's... Rock. <laughs> yes, yes, Bob Rock. He went from Kiss to John Cougar. But yeah, no, you know what I mean. Ain't that America? He was producing Shania Twain. No, that's Mutt Lang. Oh right, whatever. Bob, Bob Rock, Rock Mutt Lang. It's it's all you know monosyllabics. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yes, but they're all fake Heartland people. Well, and that and that sense of Heartland was a thing that I already I already only understood as a cartoon, right? It was not a thing that we had direct exposure to, so it seemed cartoonish already. It's like the first time you land in New York, and you walk up to a cop and you're like, "Hey, which way is the World Trade Center?" And the guy turns to you and he's like. Oh yeah, you're looking for the World Trade Center. Hey, he's right over there. And you're like, what the fuck? You're real. Like yeah, you're the, a real. That's like the. Um, that's like legit. The Transit Authority. Like you hear all these jokes about there, and you go there, and you're like, oh my god, this is exactly yeah. what I imagined, and it's horrible. Is that what's called? But is, but is that is that the place where you go? What, and everybody's, the, what am I thinking of? What's it called? The no, I'm thinking of, that's that's a Chicago album, I think. The Chicago Transit Authority. Yeah. Da, 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 no, you're talking about the the the, uh, the, the bus terminal. The yeah, the you know what I mean. You, you yeah. go in there, and it's just all like people laying in urine, and nobody's actually waiting for any transit. But you know, right. and, but then like, what's funny though is with people like like Bob Seger, God bless him, he's got some good songs. But then it's like sure. That, like a rock, like commercial thing. It's nothing against it. I'm glad the guy made some money. But like it was, it exactly underscored like how silly th- that kind of like fake earnest 
you know, successful rock musician thing is. Well, and that, and Jesus, that, I mean, that is the jumping off point for, for the, the kind of the whole cultural, the whole love it or leave it America culture. And I guess it existed a long time before. I mean, Bob Seger was, it was a cartoon when Billy Joel and Bob Seger were kind of uh, caricaturing it. It was a cartoon when Bruce Springsteen was caricaturing it because it's a thing that goes back to what the war. I mean, those guys are being nostalgic about World War II, right? Or about their father's their father's experiences of coming home and coming home to this. You know, we're we're all still suffering PTSD from having won the war and then not creating a utopia, but instead. 20 yeah, years but at least, later, at least having a time having where race riots. At least ha- yeah, uh, yes, exactly. I think that's that's what kind of kicks kicked off a lot of that 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 uh, strain in some ways, but also just the fact that there was a time in America. <laughs> Sounds something like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Tom Woods, a man with a high school education, could get a job in an automobile factory or Pink Crosby. Yeah. I'm not sure, but you, uh, but that was, I mean, that was a thing. I mean, GI Bill, like that was that was a. Uh, you can get hagiographic about it, but that was a pretty good time. And I'm real only realizing now. Go ahead. Well, I, so I've, I was reading this book not very long ago called The Farm. Let me see if I can find a copy of it here. A book called The Farm, and it was written. <clears throat> it was written um, in the early part of the 20th century, but in a very modern voice, and. It's a book of it's a sort of a nostalgic but but wise worldly book about this uh, this this guy kind of looking back in his own family to the to the settling of the plains you know to to a time when when his great grandfather arrived in Ohio and cleared the land. And built the farmhouse that today is the oldest building in Cleveland or something, or the oldest building in in uh, Akron, let's say. And at the time, it was just all farm, and they, you know, they lived together in one room while they were clearing the forest, and eventually built on a second room and then a third room, and pretty soon it they built this mansion. Um, and this book, the farm, it. Uh, <laughs> We, we're able, from, from our perspective, yours and mine, to cast back in our own imaginations and through our family histories and newsreels and books. You know, we can get back only so far before the reality of historical times becomes, a, becomes just a... a um, just kind of a constellation of images, right? We don't have any sense of what it was really like. We just have, we just have put together some pictures in our mind from books and movies and so forth. But this guy was writing this book at a time when a time prior to, uh, prior to really much, very much media where he was a modern person and a modern writer and a modern thinker, but he was, he had access to his grandparents who were still alive, who were pre-Civil War homesteaders, and they were able to tell stories about their grandparents who arrived on the scene 
1790 or whatever. And so he was able to write about this stuff in a very direct way, in a way that wasn't uh, mitigated by having seen a lot of movies about it also, you know, hmm. he, he didn't see, he had, you know, he was hearing about the pioneer times and talking about them in, in more, more or less as a, as a, as a still very alive game of telephone. But he was like, he it, was a, still, it was like, it was a first order thing. Like he wasn't, he wasn't removed from it. Uh, and like reading about it or seeing it in movies. You're saying it was like he had direct access to this. Yeah, like like his great-great-great-great-grandfather had five kids, and the descendants of all of those five children were all people that he still knew or knew about. Like he could he could say like, then this house got built over here, and this clan lived in it. You know, it was it was there was a certain point where that got incredibly splintered at the end of the 19th century. And now nobody can go, nobody has the ability in, in America, except a very few people to say like five, six generations back. And I still know all the cousins or I know who they are. I know their names and I know, I know where they ended up, you know, mm -hmm. like that, what, what the great migrations of, of, of immigrants in the late 19th century, just America's population just exploded and everybody went running for the running for the corners. But anyway, this book is, this book is a spectacular kind of glimpse of <clears throat> because he is experiencing nostalgia too. He's experiencing nostalgia for sleigh rides, you know, that courier and Ives nostalgia that we don't even know we don't even know where we we see a we see a picture or we sing a Christmas carol of people riding in a sleigh, horse drawn sleigh, and it's just it's just kind of a it's kitsch or it's part of our collective culture. But this guy is saying like it's like, it's like carolers in a in a Dickens right like tableau or something. Yeah, and he he is talking with nostalgia about these things which have been lost to the motor car. In a, but but again, in a way that makes you really feel, really feel it firsthand, and you recognize that voice of like, oh well, it used to be, it used to be that a man could make his living off the land, <laughs> and it used to be that a, you know, like, sure, we had a we had an indentured servant who lived here, but right. we put it. We put his it's kids through. There's always been somebody there to help out for free on farms. Yeah, he's like there. before subsidies, there were black people. <laughs> well, and then, and this was a, you know our indentured servant was uh, was an Irish guy, but he came over here. You know, we paid his passage or whatever, right. and uh, he worked for us his entire life. But his kids, <laughs> you know, went to school and became you know, and one of them's a barber. Yeah, little Seamus. <laughs> and so, you know, but you're reading this kind of story, and 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 uh, I don't know it. it Whenever I think about, whenever I think about the nostalgia, because by the by the time the nostalgia wave has reached us, I mean eighty five percent of what we think of as American culture is just it's just like misremembered nostalgic. Uh, That's longing. Myth like mythology. Right, right. I mean, we're so we're such self mythologizers. We're such a young country still, and yet we have all these. You know, we have all these epic heroes and all these, you know, fallen, fallen uh, martyrs and 
and the, the, the race of technology of the last 200 years, it feels like an American story more than, more than any other. So you can say, well, like, well, the motor car was invented in the UK, but it's really an American story. I mean, all these things are American steam engines and so forth. So when I, when I hear that, when I hear that Billy Joel <laughs> nostalgia for the, for the post-war factory worker, in the context of like even the even the 40 years before his dad got a job at the mill let alone the 140 years before it just feels like uh, i got a theory i got a theory on that i mean I, I i have my life is full of mythologies and stories and stuff and you know ways of understanding the world but <clears throat> i mean in, until you become senile in life information and memories really only flow one way. Things never, and things in your life rarely become less complicated as you get older. And and the stories that you tell, you tend to tell. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, we start with ourselves and say like, oh gosh, oh boy, I wish I was 14 again. I would do that differently. Or you know, I wish I had a job making the you know equivalent of what I make now, except I spent less. And you know, when uh-huh. I I would have done everything differently back then. It was so simple. Everything was simple. I mean, that's how it feels. Everything feels simple. Well, you remember your pain. You you know, you remember things like that. You remember heartbreak or tragedy. But <clears throat> by and large, I think we we yesterday seems less complicated than tomorrow or the prospect of tomorrow. And I think that it's not so different with these stories we tell ourselves. And that's why we always get back to this. Things used to be simpler. Like every generation thinks the kids are, are, are getting stupid and dangerous. There's never been a, a generation that thought their kids were better than they were. They might have wanted more for them, but they think they got more sass mouth. They're, they're, they're having more intercourse. They're doing more alcohol and drugs. They're doing more dangerous, careless things, and they're not having to work as hard. I don't think there's that many generations that, that has, have skipped on that. I think almost everybody feels like they worked harder than their kids and that their parents probably worked harder than them. And, yeah. and, and everything used to seem simpler. But you know why things were simpler? They were simpler because a bunch of people died because there were no vaccinations. It was right. simpler because white people ran everything and you didn't have to be confused by the black lady at the Starbucks. Mm. It was simpler in a way that benefited you. But like, confusing. you know, the thing is the good old days weren't all that good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. We were Is that a faith. Billy Joel lyric? <laughs> oh, oh! But everything before that was me. Oh, God! <laughs> I, just, I feel kicked in the balls. Ah. Um, I think it's true, though. I think people are always uh, they're 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 pining for the fjords. They're always looking back to those days that seemed so simple, and they weren't. They weren't simple. Like all those times that like you're a little kid and you remember it that way because uh, you didn't know enough to know how fucked up everything was. Yeah, I think you well, can't get past that whole like how much people just used to die for dumb reasons, oh, Whether, con- like, losing a hand, losing a hand, a farm machinery, getting some dumb disease. I told you about a, a I don't want to get into it, but I told you about a health scare my family had the other day that was yeah. turned out to be not what we worried it would be, but it was yeah. fucking harrowing. I mean, we found out that our family had potentially been exposed to a deadly disease, <clears throat> and as it turned out, it was a, a mix up at the hospital, but. I don't want to get into it, but but like that's the kind of thing you used to have with people all the time. They go, yep. oh, by the way, your kid's going to be blind and lose an arm because they did this one thing. Right. That's you're what gonna, life used to be like. They're going to get polio and you're going to walk around with a, with a brace on your leg the rest right. of so your life. Right, so you're staying in the house from now on and not going outside and breathing. Well, but, I mean, this is why for many years, and I, and I, and I cannot escape this, uh, this idea even still, I am one of the people, and I, you may scoff, but I'm one <laughs> of the people you. that have met you. 
You may, I, I allow you to scoff. Oh, also, incidentally, yeah. the, I found the, the book, The Farm, here, and it is written by Lewis Bromfield, if anybody's interested. Okay. Lewis Bromfield. Um, you can't escape no, this. I, I am one of these people who continues to hold out the possibility that he will sell everything and move on to a sailboat. And as, as much as I recognize that that is a... Um, that that is... A, a terrible idea. I also, uh, it's an inescapable one. Like I keep feeling like at some point I am going to have to do this because, uh, so my mom's boyfriend, that, 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 we'll call that John, Johnny roadster, <laughs> that relationship has run its course. Oh, really? Yeah. It had it happened very fast. That was fast. That, so the long weekend didn't go so well. That's that. Well, no, I think it went well, but it's just, you know, it's just a, a, a Fortunately for me, my mother uh, is still herself and did not get swept away. Good, she did came back and swept away picked up Gibson. Love. Everything's back yeah, to normal. She, she came. She came back to her senses. But it, <laughs> but but the experience of, um, uh, uh, I guess it's an experience that I that I have going to um, going to so many estate sales with uh, with with uh, our mutual friend Chad. Uh, I go, we go to a lot of estate sales or he goes to a lot more than I do, but you know, you come into these people's houses and you see their collections and you see them and you see that they were hoping that their things were going to stave off death. And you realize that all of their, you know, their 150 shot glasses, uh, in a, in a custom made case on the wall, um, all they are, all they ended up being because their kids don't want them. All they ended up being was just another thing that, some estate sale company had to put a little price tag on and it, and a lot of it gets sold and some of it just goes to the thrift store. But you, you, you go into these houses and you say like, Oh, right. Everybody's trying to like hoarding and collecting crapola is exceptionally common. It seems like maybe one of the number one ways that people, that people build a framework to hold back time or they build a, they build some sugar candy. Like a a memory dam. Yeah. Right. Like, no, no, no. I'm going to be like books. They had never read that they will never read and, and useless item upon useless item. And I come back to my, it's also, it's also like an aspiration sink. It's like all the things that that should happen as well. Right. Right. The yacht club that they, that they one day are going to join the sailboat. They're one day going to move on to, and I look at my own collection of everything and I go like, okay, I, I, for instance, I love our crumb. And over the years I have collected, uh, just not, not as a collector, but just out of interest in him, I have collected a great number of our crumb comics. Uh, because I, every time I saw one, I would buy it. Cause I like, cause I like his art. And now I hold them, I hold on to them because part of me imagines that one day I will introduce my children to the work of our crumb and they and their minds will be expanded. But I know that that is not going to happen. Like the chances of the chances of like my daughter going through my books and finding our crumb and finding him at all interesting or appealing are like next to zero. It's about ourselves. So, 
So yeah, so I'm carrying these R crumb with me, and I look at them. I'm 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 in my 40s right now. I'm looking at these R crumbs on on a shelf, and I'm thinking, oh, I could be I could schlep these around for 40 more years, and I'm never. Maybe I'll read them one more time, but like I don't consult them. They are books that are they're they're among the 10,000 books I have. Back to this problem you talked about a long time ago that the, those cubic inches of your life that are be t- being taken up by all these things that you have this like uncertain, non-existent or unnecessary relationship to. Right. Yeah. Like, I, and I'm beginning it's not to square think, inches. It's cubic inches. That's, cubic, the, that's the important right. thing. It's got depth. <laughs> I'm beginning to think that and it should all go yeah. everything, including, I mean, including everything, but the very smallest box of family photos, you know, the rest of it, like, if I need to read The Hobbit again, I can find. I think I can find one. I think I can find a copy. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and the copy. You know, the copy of The Hobbit I have is something I, I checked out from a library thirty years ago and never returned. It still has the Dewey Decimal uh, tags on the side. I should probably take it back. I should probably. I should do one of those library things. I think and, it's like a fur coat, John. I mean, as long as you you don't commit the crime now, it's okay that you keep the old one. You just can't have, you, you know what I mean? You can't have a fur commission. Right. But um, you can have a vintage fur You coat. know what you could do? What you, what you could do is you could certainly do that. That's a little bit crazy and seems like the beginning of self-harm. But what you could also do is to, is to keep your favorite, your favorite candelabra, your favorite pair of cowboy boots, your favorite Braille Playboy, box the rest up, put it in a storage shed for six months and see how you feel about it. And then if you want, say, you know what? I miss those Braille Playboys, but I'm going to frame five of them and put them on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and make it a make it a thing because right now the, your thing. problem is the inertia. If I may say, if I can tell you what your problem is, your yeah, problem please. is that stuff hasn't moved in either of you. And that's when, I, here's 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 the thing, John. I'm going to Doctor uh-huh, Phil uh-huh, mode here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you can't slice a tomato unless you buy a knife, and that's going to hurt. We'll be back in five minutes. I don't know what show I'm on anymore. Does Doctor Phil sound like <clears throat> Bill Clinton, or is your Doctor Phil just? Bill I just I, I used to have different Southern voices, and now they all kind of sound like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> keep one of each and put the rest away the exercise would be good for you it's not yeah. that costly yeah. and uh you know this is a this is a hack it's not a bacon hack but you know it's an old trick that lots of people have suggested which is that you know if you've got some kipple around the house i know you're a big philip k dick fan if you've got a lot yeah. of kipple uh mm-hmm. you get rid of that stuff put it in a bag or a box with a date on it and if you don't need anything from that box in six months throw it away now i'm not saying you should do that for braille playboys that's special materials give those to me if you need to get rid of them well i can't i can't escape like when i was <laughs> younger when i was a younger man I was acquiring these things because I was imagining populating my future life with them. Absolutely. You could imagine like I, the big like Bruce Wayne library with all that stuff in like a big globe, right? Stuff right, like that. right. People would come into my house and they would be astonished by my by my one half scale replica of the Fokker triplex. <laughs> and they would say, My God, man, does it fly? And Your I would study say study well, is so eclectic. <laughs> I got it in Africa. Rather. But, uh, but now I'm in my life. I am presently in the you middle. You can't of escape it. And all of this stuff is it. I literally do have a Bruce Wayne library <laughs> that 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 has a, not a half scale Fokker triplane, but tri motor, but a but like a one eighth scale. And uh, was that and, a, red, and, a red Baron plane? No, the Fokker tri motor was a was a. But he a, had a Fokker, right? That was a. Well, let's see what uh, the the Red Baron. 
Oh, wait a minute. I am conflating two airplanes, the Fokker triplane and the Ford trimotor. Oh, Ford trimotor was a was a three engine passenger plane. What a handsome right? guy. And uh, and the Fokker. Tri- I mean, regardless of the plane and the scale, it would look great in a study. But but alongside all the other things, it's accumulating. Yes. Well, it's it's not. It isn't just that it is continuously accumulating. It's like you're saying. I feel I feel like uh, like Yotzel, the Austrian glacier man. <laughs> Stuck, <laughs> stuck with my little bag of uh, of 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 muesli. You definitely need to get rid of some books <laughs> and my my homemade fur fur boots. Is it from a commercial or a book? No, you know the guy I'm talking about. Oh, Ricola. That Not Ricola. Yeah, but the but yeah, that guy, the one that was that that uh, that now they've decided was killed in a battle. Not in a not a big I'm battle, but so like in a lost right now. Hand to hand. You're not talking about the guy in the in the cough drop commercial. No, I'm talking about the prehistoric man who was frozen in a glacier in Austria. Oh, for, that's that's not Lucy. Not Lucy. No. Okay. Lucy's just a bone fragment and a story. Nice. This is a this classy. Is a full, Very classy. He's <laughs> <laughs> saying that about ladies all the time. Lucy's just a fragment of a jaw and a good tail. That sounds like but, a John Cougar song. <laughs> but this guy, okay. the Austrian, his name's not Yotzel. I don't even think that's a name. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm tired and I have to pee. Whatever, whatever his name is. Yotzel. Mm-hmm. Yotzel. Yotzel, uh, the uh, Paleolithic uh, uh, bugler. Right, right. Who who died on a glacier and was frozen for, for literally thousands of years. Oh, okay. And the whole time he was in that glacier with his little bag of... of uh, of grain and his his uh, his quiver of arrows, he was probably thinking, "Why do I have so much stuff?" I, I'm a little lost in the analogies. This this is you. <laughs> you're, you're Yotzel. I am Yotzel. My stuff is the glacier. And what's the grain? Getting <laughs> <laughs> very hard today. Hit my salt shaker by accident. 